0: Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. This morning, our text is the parable of the talents as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, and the title of my sermon is Playing It Safe. Listen for God's word for you. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Well, the one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here. You have what's yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own, at least with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have more will be given. And they will have an abundance, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, in this Occasion as we prepare for Thanksgiving this week, we come before you and give you thanks. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Thank you for this setting in which we find ourselves. We ask now that you would speak to us as only a living God can. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I've said before that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and it's largely because it's a national holiday and not a religious one necessarily. Um, It means there's little additional work for those of us in the ministry. (laughs) And Thanksgiving holidays are always filled with lots of family traditions, but they also mark the kinds of transitions that go on in our families and in our lives. This year, some of you may be hosting the dinner for the very first time because Grandma is no longer able to provide the setting. Others may be spending the day with your new in-laws this year. Others may be going to the kids for the very first time because they'll be hosting the holiday. And for many there will be some someone that's absent from the festivities at the table because of a death or a divorce this year. Transitions and traditions come together at Thanksgiving celebrations. Last year we celebrated Thanksgiving at our daughter's home in North Carolina. Now, it wasn't the first time that we weren't hosting and our children were hosting the event, so I had a little idea of some of what to expect, but frankly, it is difficult for me to give up control of Thanksgiving weekend and to be at my kids' home. When I'm in charge, we do fun stuff. We we play golf, we ride motorcycles, we do adventurous outings. When my kids are in charge, I get to play with their children and keep them occupied. (laughs) Now, they are my grandchildren, and I love that. I'm happy to play with them. But I just think it should involve more activity and more adventure. And When you have to ask your kids to borrow their car, it's just different. (laughs) So I could see that last year Thanksgiving was stacking up to be kind of a kid-friendly event. It's kind of like going to Chuck E. Cheese for a birthday party. (laughs) Our daughter had prepared for months. She sold off all her beautiful dining room furniture, that comfortable stuff with the cushy seats, and instead commissioned a glorified picnic table to be made. She said, this is really kid-friendly, and we're going to use our dining room so much more often now. All I could see that was that I was going to be sitting on what essentially was a wooden picnic bench with no back, enjoying my Thanksgiving dinner. It felt a little bit like I was 10 years old again back at the kids' table, you know those ones that you can clean up with a hose? So the meal was finally ready last year, the turkey, the mashed potatoes, the stuffing, the gravy, the cranberries, the salad, the green bean casserole, all placed out on the buffet. Everyone grabbed their plate, including our four grandchildren. And then soon we were all seated around that new picnic table. Plates were steaming, forks at the ready. We bowed for prayer. My son-in-law provided a, really a beautiful and thoughtful prayer for the occasion We picked up our forks. The race was on. And then without warning, our youngest grandson, two-year-old Avery, vomited all over the table. He was seated right next to his brother, Elliot. Elliot was in shock and disgust and began to uncontrollably sob. All of the mothers in the room flew into action. But our other daughter, the one without any children, her shoulders slumped, and she mumbled aloud, shoot. And I was going to try and convince my husband to have children. It was perfect. Now, within minutes, the situation was redeemed, and we were back to abnormal. Enjoying our Thanksgiving dinner. I just know we're not going to be able to top that experience this year. (laughs) Maybe your family is a little bit like mine. Everything goes wrong. But here's a family that seems to have gotten a few things right. Several years ago, two 18 year old brothers, twin brothers, Alex and Brett Harris, wrote a book. And the title is Do Hard Things. A Teenage Rebellion Against Low Expectations." I haven't read the book. I love the title. It's a book about faith written by teenagers for teenagers, and it builds off a familiar text in First Timothy 4:12: "Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So the brothers challenge the whole idea of adolescence as a kind of vacation from responsibility. Instead, they want to redefine the teen years as a launching pad for life. And they're leading a growing movement of Christian young people, a rebellion of sorts. Actually, what they call it is a revolution against low expectations of the surrounding culture. And instead, they challenge young people to do hard things for God. I think the Harris brothers are on to something here. Adults often expect too little of teenagers, and then we're surprised when we receive precisely what we're looking for. Several years ago at men's breakfast here at the church, one of our student interns asked the question to the Uh, to the participants, when did you feel like you were an adult? It's because these seminary students, even though they were married and even had children, they felt like they're constantly treated as children. Every one of those men in that group that day from that former generation said, we became adults the day we landed in boot camp when we were 18 for military service. 18-year-olds are capable of great responsibility. World War II demonstrated that, and every war since the beginning of time. Teenagers can do hard things. They just need someone to expect it from them. Which brings me to our parable this morning about the talents and this teaching from Jesus. Clearly, there's encouragement not to play safe But to be willing to do hard things, to grow up, to take on the risks of living. This is a parable about how to be and how not to be a servant. It's a story about a master who leaves his property and his possessions for an undisclosed length of time in the hands of three servants. As we just heard in our time with younger worshipers, a talent was a unit of measure to, that was a significant amount of money. It was actually a large amount of money. A talent was 6,000 denarii. It's the equivalent of the average day laborer's wages for 15 to 20 years. The enormity of that sum, and the example this morning was a million dollars, two millions, five million. The enormity of the sum of That gift illustrates the extravagance of the master. What God entrusts to us is abundant, it's precious, should never be taken for granted or squandered. Beginning with the distribution, then, each servant received something. No one comes away empty handed. The master distributes in such a way that each has something to offer, something with which to invest in life, something to be used. No one needs to be useless. Everyone has some capacity for rendering service to the world, and without that service, the world is a poorer place. Perhaps you've heard this saying. I once heard my friend comment, You know, no one is really completely useless. They can always serve as a bad example. (laughs) Well, that appears to be the role of our third servant in this parable. Mother Teresa received the Nobel Prize for her work with and among the very poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. Her work through the Sisters of Charity. I mean, talk about doing hard things. They often picked up the dying on the streets of Calcutta and cared for them and provided a level of dignity. She writes about her work in these words, We ourselves feel that what we are doing is just a drop in the ocean. But if that drop were not in the ocean, I think the ocean would be less because of that missing drop. I do not agree with the big way of doing things, to us, what matters is the individual. To get to love the person, we must come in close contact with him. End quote. Well, similarly, each one of us have received something to give, some drop in the ocean which is ours alone to offer. And This week, each one of us will be in close contact with many individuals Some in our own family. Maybe this week we need to do some hard thing and treat others with dignity and respect as if they're honored guests. Now, the problem in the parable begins with the awareness that the distribution is not equal. There's no justification here for some perverted understanding of divinely appointed stations in life. In fact, The caste system in India was primarily responsible for the neglect of the needs of the poor and the sick. And Mother Teresa and the Sisters of Charity were motivated by their conviction that each person is a child of God made in the image of Almighty God and therefore deserving of dignity. So, the parable doesn't justify inequality, but it does reflect the reality that every one of us can testify to that some are born with more. There's more talent, there's more capacity, they have more opportunities than others. Some have more sound bodies, and others suffer with illness and infirmity. Some are endowed with intellectual gifts, others have to work their tails off to succeed. Some are born into loving and nurturing homes with the finest educational resources. Others are severely limited in their ability to develop their gifts. I think that's why George Washington Carver recognized those differences and observed that a person's success cannot be measured by the position that one has attained in life but rather by the obstacles that they had to overcome in order to obtain it. So God's distribution is not equal. But servants are not measured by what they've been given. They're measured by what they've done with what they've been given. Sometimes it gets expressed this way, perhaps you've heard me say it before what you are is god's gift to you but what you become is your gift to god and you never will able to you'll never be able to fully become who you are and what you can be without courage and without confidence that comes from faith so the real tragedy in this parable is that one servant who thought he was playing it safe chose to limit his risk He became passive. He thought by doing nothing and just burying this gift, it's the best strategy. And I think you and I know what that's like. Afraid of looking mediocre. Afraid that when my gifts are compared to others, I won't compare. How unfair it is that I should be measured against those who've received so much more than I have. And fearing the comparison, fearing that my meager talent is really not needed, that my little offering is embarrassingly small and won't be missed anyway. I mean, after all, it's really a very large ocean. So I'm just going to bury it here. And in so doing, we bury ourselves without ever really finding out what we're capable of. We spend our lives often hiding what little we think we have behind a world of excuses. You want to know the secret to success? Boy, just Google that. You'll get a lot of answers. According to some of the most popular business consultants, just do hard things. One list includes these. Make the call you don't want to make. Get up earlier than you want to get up. Care more about others than they care about you. You have to feel unsure and insecure when playing it safe seems smarter. You have to invest in yourself even though no one else is. You have to make mistakes and look like an idiot. You have to meet deadlines that are unreasonable and deliver results that are unparalleled. And finally, you have to move toward where you want to be no matter what's in front of you. That's what leads to success according to today's gurus in business. You have to do hard things. And that's the point of this parable. My sister, who I can always count on to reflect whatever the cultural messages are that are out there, especially in the business world, she has a refrigerator magnet on her refrigerator that says, growth begins at the edge of your comfort zone. Now that sounds remarkably contemporary to me, but it certainly reflects this ancient advice from the parable of the talents. But finally, there's a day of reckoning. We have them every day. Our choices, our decisions, our failures, our inaction... What we do, what we leave undone, all of that catches up to us in one way or another. Just think of Toys R Us, who's filed for bankruptcy this fall, or General Electric, who's trying to reorganize. There's nothing offensive about a master calling into account those who work for them. Shareholders do that all the time. But it's clear that the servant's success is the greatest joy of the master. God takes no joy in our failures. And when we approach life with faith, we begin to experience what it's like to know the joy of our master, of our creator. Now every student knows ultimately you're graded not on what you intended to do, but on what you actually did. It seems kind of a harsh response to this fearful servant, but life can be harsh. You might as well get used to it. There's no place to hide. A muscle that goes unused will atrophy. It loses its tone and its substance. Anyone who's broken a bone or had a cast on or suffered a stroke or had joint replacement, knows how painful physical therapy can be. It is a harsh reality that we lose what we bury. That's precisely why it's so important to decide to do something with what we've been given, even though it's hard. We may not be able to do everything we wish we could, but thank God we can do some things. So let's finish with our complaining about our lives and about the talents we don't have. And let's finish with the daydreaming about the life we should have been able to live. Let us focus upon that which is within our power and capacity to do and be. Let's do hard things as individuals and as a church. So what have you buried out of fear? What has God given you that you've responded with, I was afraid, so I went and I hid? You know, in John's gospel, in the last discourse, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he concludes this way. He says, now I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That's what God wants for our lives. And I hope this year that your holiday includes some of the joy of the master. That's what God wants for us. Not an easy life. Not a life without risk, but a life invested. A life willing and able to do the kinds of hard things that lead to joy and fulfillment in human life. Enter through the narrow gate, says the Lord, for the gate is wide. And the road is easy that leads to destruction and there are many who take it. But the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Well, may we find that road. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.